we're making our way to Jerusalem and, and over the next week, Reverend Dennis Moody will be here and then David Jury from, uh, he is the chief executive officer for uh, the department of the general superintendent and then Jim and Jeanette Vermilia will be here the, the 17th of April. So uh, quite a variety of, of speakers coming over the next few weeks and I'm looking forward to those. And I'm really looking forward to finding out what Mike's gonna fix for supper this week, so. Well, as we make our way through Matthew's gospel in this morning service, we're going to make a pause, a stop in Matthew 15. It's, it's one of my favorites in the gospels. One of the reasons is because there's so much going on in the text. There's so much going on around the text. And uh, I remarked to Pastor Ryan earlier this week how expansive I find Matthew's gospel. He, he is, he is laser-like in his focus. He, he is communicating to a Jewish audience. He is communicating to the Jewish people saying, Jesus fulfills everything that we've heard through the law and the prophets about uh, the Messiah. This is the one. You should recognize him. And yet at the same time, so broad, that, that he shows us the, the expanse, the reach of John 3.16, that for God so loved the whole world, everyone. And along the way, Matthew includes these episodes where Jesus seems to be pushing the boundaries of the gospel, where he's stretching the boundaries that, that we even have as, as people, the limits stretching it outward, and he's including the Gentiles. Matthew 15 is one of those scenes. It's an unlikely detour that Jesus makes through a predominantly Gentile region. I want you to check it out with me. Matthew 15, beginning with verse 21. titled The Faith of a Canaanite Woman, Mark calls her a Syrophoenician woman. Text begins this way, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Leaving what place? He's, he's left the familiar. He has, he has we, we pick him up at the close of, of chapter 13. <laughs> Jesus is, has been in Nazareth and and uh, he's left there because he couldn't perform many miracles because of lack of faith on the part of the people. He makes his way in miracles and, and uh, he feeds 5,000 people from a couple of loaves and a few fish. And, and then he, he calms the seas and he, he walks on water and he calls Peter out to walk on water. And then, and then in chapter 15, he has an encounter, but then he, he leaves that region and he heads north to a region that is, well, pagan, very pagan. Nothing like what uh, the people are used to. Uh, a, very, a very prosperous area. An area that has, has thrown in with Herod and the people have, have embraced Roman culture and, and all of its... Uh, what is the word? 
extremes. Let's go there. Maybe, maybe Bourbon Street in New Orleans. Help your thinking. It's the place where purple dye was first discovered and began to be exported. So Jesus is up here. And a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. September 2nd, 2000. I, I don't think I will ever ever be able to forget it, get the scene out of my mind. It was one of those moments that seminary could never prepare you for. I've had a few of those, haven't you, Pastor? One of those days where you think, I don't think they covered this in pastoral counseling. I don't think they covered this in theology. I don't think they covered this in Hebrews. My friend Dave, he had, he had worked for Cheryl and I at Arby's. He had, he had been our friend for, for many years. Through high school and on and through his 20s, he was, he was barely 29 years old. He had taken his own life. And we were there in the midst of the grieving family and friends, and that was, that was bad enough. That was hard enough. But it was, it was the wailing of his mother's torture that echoes. You can hear it. It's loud. It, was, it came from someplace different. I had no words to comfort her. And every time I remember Dave, every time my birthday rolls around, I remember Dave. And I remember, I remember the scene, agonizing, desperate heartache on full display. And that's how I imagined the Canaanite woman. That's how I picture her. Like like the mother who agonizes over her child's addiction. Lord, Lord, when, when will rock bottom be here? Where, where is that elusive rock bottom that will bounce back from, Lord? Or the woman, overwhelmed by life and her husband's mental illness, misunderstood, stigmatized, judged, pleading, pleading, begging for relief of any kind. That's what makes this text come alive to me. Those are people that I know. And here, here is this woman exhausted of her resources. Have you ever been there? See, you feel the text. You feel the, the weight of it. These are living words. They're not just words on a page. They're living words. And they, they, they... Raymond Williams says, 
To be truly radical is to make hope possible rather than despair convincing. Make hope possible rather than despair convincing. Research this week on despair. It's quite fascinating. I don't know how many of you um, have ever done research on despair, but thinking and reading some articles and, and uh, perusing the information, and I, I, I came across this phrase, an epidemic of despair. What is an epidemic of despair? And then, and then I read further and what they were talking about. Did you know that in the United States right now, the, the, the demographic, the group of people that has the highest mortality rate right now for a host of reasons, and even, even the highest rate of, of people that are taking their own lives, do you know what demographic that is? White non-Hispanic males, age 50, to 60. The American dream has failed then. I, I don't know all of the reasons for that, but, but that's what the research indicates, that all around us there is this poverty of hope, this epidemic of despair. And that's what makes what happens next in the text so stunning. The woman exhausted her resources and and, and in a pagan place, uh, non-Jewish, none of the shared traditions, she comes running to Jesus. Have mercy on me, son of David. Verse 23 says, Something that none of us would expect. Verse 23 says, Jesus did not answer a word. He didn't answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged her, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. If Jesus ignores her, maybe we should too. Send her away, send her away. Get her out of here. She's a bother. She's a nuisance. She's not one of us. And then Jesus said, continuing, I I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Can you hear the disciples? That's right, Jesus. That's right. That's right. You tell her. And by the way, Jesus, what are we doing here anyway? What are we doing way out here? Park that thought. I'll tell you why in just a little bit. And the woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me. Can you feel it? Please help me. No one one else can. No one else is able. Please help me. And he replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Is your spirit starting to get a little uneasy? What's Jesus doing? What's going on here? Yes. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even even the dogs eat the crumbs 
that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. I marvel at this sequence of events. I pour through it and I read through it. Am I reading this the way that it, it really is said? And I go back and I said, is that really the way it was written? In my research, I came across all kinds of explanations and for Jesus' response to the woman that included everything from Jesus is just revealing cultural prejudice, even his own. He was raised in that culture, so he's just revealing cultural prejudice toward the woman. And all the way from that to this being an example of Jesus testing her faith. Well, that broad spectrum. You wanna know what I think? No, you don't. But I'm gonna tell you, share with you a conclusion that I've drawn. Now this is what I see. John 6, 44. No one, no one can come to me unless the Father first draws them. The Bible's coming to life right here. The words of Scripture, what Jesus says, are coming to life on the pages of Scripture. Jesus is, in my opinion, leading the witness. Leading the witness. Asking a question. By the way, do you know who that is? <laughs> You've seen the movie? To Kill a Mockingbird. It always reminds me of my favorite, one of my favorite episodes of, of uh, Everybody Loves Raymond. Gregory Peck, you moron! Gregory Peck played Atticus Finch. He won an Oscar. Leading the witness, you like my acting? That was Roberts, <laughs> my namesake. Leading, leading the witness, asking a question during a trial or deposition which puts words in the mouth of the witness or suggests an answer. I think Jesus is leading the witness. Like a trial lawyer, masterfully leading a witness, carefully and methodically, Jesus works. The Nazarene is leading this Canaanite woman deeper than, than she even really knows or suspects. He's drawing her. Perhaps, perhaps she has heard the stories of Jesus. Perhaps she's heard what, what he's been doing all across the land, everywhere Jesus goes, and the fame of Jesus has spread even to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Perhaps she has cobbled together a, a measure of faith and hope. Perhaps she's put enough pieces together that, that within her there is a glimmer of hope. Yet if I can just get to Jesus, and, 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 and here he is. Coincidence? No, providence. That is why Jesus said, I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. You see, to us, it looks like she's chasing down Jesus. Doesn't it? 
It looks like she's the one doing the pursuing, and in fact, she is. But the bigger story is the story of a God who draws us with everlasting kindness and woos us with a love that will not let us go. And the wonder of wonders here is that, that though she appears to be chasing Jesus, Jesus is actually pursuing her. Holding her. All the time. That's Jesus. And Jesus is calling out of her this, this kind of faith that Hebrews 11 talks about. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him, including Canaanite women, must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you see it? Each piece each piece of this exchange between Jesus and this Canaanite woman, unnamed, by the way, is like what Jesus did with Peter on the water, calling her out into the deep. How far will you trust me? Come on. Come on, just a little. Come on. Come on. Come on. 17th century Bible scholar Matthew Henry wrote, Christ treated her thus to try her. He knows what is in her heart, knew the strength of her faith and how well able she was by his grace to break through. I don't know. I, I don't know. But what I see and what I imagine is the woman looking into Jesus' eyes sees his compassion, and as she cooperates with God's Spirit drawing her, somehow Jesus calls out of her a bold and courageous faith that if we were honest, we are envious of. I wish I could trust Jesus like that. And all the while, you got to see this, the courtroom drama that's going on. Jesus, the trial lawyer, Eric, calling her out and leading the witness. And all the while, all the while, the enemy is over here. The devil is over here saying, objection, objection. He's leading the witness. Can you see it? Objection. Objection. You see, the enemy is the, the accuser. But the scripture says, who is it that can accuse? Oh, not Jesus. He's not the accuser. He's the redeemer. He's the savior. He is the one that goes between you and the judge and says, it's good. Do you need to hear that today? I think some of us do because some of us cooperate with the enemy who is the accuser more than we cooperate with Jesus who is the one who pleads our case. And we gang up on ourselves and we gang up on one another. And and here it is. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs. 
Woman, you have great faith. And her daughter was healed. Boom! Boom! Like the Roman centurion just a few chapters earlier, faith is found in some pretty strange places, friends. Like the heart of an outsider, a pagan, a Gentile, a Canaanite woman. As, as with the shot heard round the world in the Revolutionary War, this woman's faith reverberates throughout history as an inspiration for anyone who has ever felt the desperation and the longing for just a glimmer of hope. It's getting warm. Connie's not here, so I can do this. <laughs> do you ever wonder what could happen if we would ever just stop pretending that we've got it all together and just come to Jesus in our brokenness and say, I need help? Ever? Because it's interesting to me where this story occurs in the gospel. Jesus has just confronted the Pharisees, the religious leaders, saying that they honor God with their lips while their hearts are far from them. You honor me with your words, but your heart someplace else. And the issue that they brought before Jesus and his disciples, ceremonial washing, the, the rationale, what goes in must be clean so that the person remains clean. Jesus teaches, on the contrary, it's not what goes in, but what comes out that determines whether a person is clean or not. For out of the heart, Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, about covers it, doesn't it? And I come to the conclusion here that the statement Jesus is making, pea shooter rules are no match for the wickedness of the human heart. I'll just leave that. And then comes the encounter with the woman who is unclean, according to Jewish tradition. Yet Jesus reveals that her heart, listen to me, her heart is cleaner than any of the hearts of the Pharisees that he has encountered in the previous verses. The evidence is that her faith was great. Her trust in God was great. The Pharisees trusted in their own ability to follow ceremonial law, to dress a certain way, to... And the woman simply trusted Jesus. Just give me Jesus. 
And, and, and here's, here's the marvel of the Scriptures as, as you read them. Jesus confronts the Pharisees, teaches a parable, it's not what goes in, it's what comes out that makes you unclean, and, and Peter says, explain this, and I think, I think Jesus thought to himself, Peter, I'll do you one better, I'll show you. Let's go to Tyre. Let's go to Sidon. Now do you see, Peter? Now do you see? And it hits me. Both the Pharisees and the Canaanite woman were willing to be satisfied with breadcrumbs. The Pharisees settled for the crumbs of their own righteousness, while the woman hungered for the crumbs that fell from the hand of the Son of the living God. And there is the heart of the matter. Lesson number two. Even the leftover crumbs of what Jesus offered would be enough to change everything. That's the point. Jesus is enough. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Right? Not Jesus plus the American dream equals everything. Not Jesus plus fill in the blank. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the woman, the Roman centurion, the woman with the issue of blood, all throughout the scriptures, the, the Bartimaeus, just get me to Jesus and it'll change everything. And I'm telling you today, if you just get to Jesus, it can change everything for you. Everything. Everything. And God, Paul says, is able to make all grace abound to you. Grace, the oncoming power of God. Grace, God's rescuing and caring exertion on your behalf. I don't care what acronym you, you use for it, but grace is all sufficient. Never runs out. When the demand for grace is high, grace doesn't become in short supply like so many things that we're used to, right? Like gasoline or flu vaccines or Reese's peanut butter eggs this time of year. And grace is supernatural. It's beyond you. It's beyond ourselves. It's beyond today. It's eternal. It's reach. And so what I, what I hear echoing in my mind, say to the church today, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Not stingy. 
not crumbs. He's given you the kingdom as evidenced in his son, Jesus Christ, making his way to Jerusalem, dying on the cross of Calvary, swallowing all of the sin, all of the dreaded wickedness of humanity, swallowing all of that and giving us in return forgiveness and salvation to eternal life. That's what God offers today. And along with that, Paul said, how will he not also give you all things? Everything you need. Everything. The grace to forgive, the grace to receive forgiveness, the grace to serve, the grace to trust him. Even, even, can you imagine the weight of the cross on Jesus? Even here, I mean, he has, he has been through it by this point. Let me illustrate it this way. Jim, a few years ago, I got to go see a Big 12 championship tournament, all the Big 12 teams. And those guys, I had seats down as close as Cheryl is to me. And those guys are big. And they go up and down that floor, and they're hanging and clanging on each other all night long. There's not, there's not a moment going up and down that floor where those big guys aren't. It's no wonder they're exhausted by the end of a game, let alone the end of a season. And with every step that Jesus takes, he is banging and clanging against the enemy on our behalf. And the disciples are thinking, Jesus, just, we're tired. We're tired watching you. But Jesus presses on and, and he makes this detour to remind us that no one is beyond the reach of the gospel. Isn't that good news today, church? No one's beyond the reach of the God. No one's beyond the reach of God's grace and his working on your behalf. He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. We just read it. See, faith is found in strange places. Strange places. And these crumbs... These crumbs can change everything. But here's the crux. These crumbs are ours to receive. You see, they're just laying on the table. And receive them. You see, it does no good for me to, under what I believe is the unction and the enablement of the Holy Spirit, to, to pour out my heart and, and then share with you the wondrous truths found in the Scriptures that, that God is for you, not against you, and that if you will, you will, in your desperation, call out to Him for help. It does me no good to, to lay that out all on the table if nobody receives it. Right? To all who received him, to all who believed in his name, received, believed, 
He gave the right to become children of God. And I don't, I don't know the rest of this woman's story. And don't. We're not told what happens to her after this moment. We're not told, but I, but I, I got to believe based on what I'm reading that, that Jesus wasn't just calling out of her faith enough to heal her child. He was, he was calling out of her faith enough to put her hope in him. And she was, she was leading the witness, Eric, to call out of her the child of God, the Imago Dei, the image of God that was placed in her by our great and gracious Father. And Jesus is calling out of her, and he's saying, like he said to Zacchaeus, remember, this woman, too, is a child of God. The daughter of Abraham. One of those. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. God has made a way when there was no way. And I'm telling you, I don't, I don't know that, that, that part about a mother's cry. I don't know that part about uh, uh, families dealing with things in their lives that they see that that hope is dwindling. I don't know which part of this message spoke to you today, but I can promise you that Jesus is calling to each and every one. Whether, whether you do not know today, for sure, whether you are a child of God, whether you don't know this moment, whether, whether if Jesus returned today, he would count you among the, the sheep that would inherit eternal life or the ghosts that would be cast off. But he can make you know today. All you have to do is say, Jesus, help me. Help me see and believe. And for, for the others who have long believed in Jesus, but who, who are battling in your personal torment today, Jesus, Jesus, I see no way out. My son, my daughter, my mom, this thing that pesters me. On the authority of Scripture, I can tell you today, Jesus will meet you in your desperation right here, right now. Somebody ought to shout amen. Don't you love Jesus? This is who he is. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened, all who are weighed down by the cares of life, all who are, who are feeling defeated, all who are about to chuck hope to the four winds, come to me. And I, I will meet you in your desperation and give you rest. More than that, I will take up your burdens. And while I'm carrying them, I will carry you. Wow. 
Wow! The Son of the living God makes that promise to each and every one of us today. Will you receive it? thinking about this today, I just wondered to myself, could God be leading some witnesses here this morning? I know we opened the altar once. But I'm going to ask, Tammy, would you just come and I call it traveling music whenever I talk about this. I say, Tammy, I just need some traveling music. Because I want people to move in response to the gospel. And I don't know, church, I don't know where you are on that spectrum. Are, are you the Canaanite woman? I, I've heard these things about Jesus. I, I, I'd like to really know that they're true. Help me believe today, Jesus, that I really can be a child of God. Or whether you're over here and you've served Jesus for years and years and years and, and you know in your heart that you are closer to heaven than you really want. But there's a weight in your spirit today and you're saying, God, but what about my grandkids? What about my kids? What about this thing that the doctor says? What about the torment that's in my home, my family right now? I'm desperate. I need some relief. Say, I don't know, but I'm going to get out of the way of the Holy Spirit. And the marvelous thing about Jesus is that whoever comes to him, humility, dependence, he will in no way cast out. So, I'm going to get out of the way. Let the, let the words, songs linger, music. Let the spirit brood over you. and You respond to the Holy Spirit today. Come. Cast it all in Jesus.